Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to help our listeners better understand the challenges that face the business of higher education. Our hope is that you walk away with a stronger sense of the trends, policies, legislative and regulatory issues that may impact campuses today and in the future. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of educational tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. This is Liz Clark. I'm Vice President for Policy and Research, and thank you for joining us for this edition of Nakubo in Brief. I am delighted to have with me today Brian Flavin, who is Senior Director for Advocacy at CASE, the Council for Advancement Supportive Education. Welcome, Brian. Thanks, Liz. Great to be here. How are you doing? It's been quite some time since I've seen you in person. Uh, I have definitely seen you on some Zoom calls here and there, but uh, how how are things going with you and yours? Well, uh, as you can imagine, it's been a busy time and uh, a really, really interesting time, to say the least. Uh, but at least from uh, the perspective of working with uh, uh, with Capitol Hill, it's, it's funny. Uh, we're always so used to going up to the Hill and meeting and talking and doing a lot of the work that uh, that you and your team and and, and I certainly do around uh, all the issues facing higher ed, but uh, it's, it's been funny. Actually, it's been even busier uh, lately, given all of the COVID-19 relief legislation Congress has been considering uh, and all of the virtual meetings. So everything that we used to do in person has now been transformed and, and uh, transferred over to the virtual. So it's just been really, really busy. And I don't know about you, but I feel like there's been even more work the last few weeks than there typically has been. I would agree. And I will tell you that the policy team here would agree. We've tried to compare this to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act tax reform time period. And we think it's been even more hectic now than it was in that short time frame when we were looking at tax reform. So even though live conferences and meetings and events have been postponed or canceled, I have had a colleague say that she's never worked so hard in her life, that it's just... <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, a lot of moving parts, a lot of issues to contend with, and uh, a lot of people looking for a lot of information. Yeah, absolutely. Just a lot, lots out there. Uh, lots, uh, you know, lot, obviously our, our, our member schools looking for as much information as they can get. Lots of news from Capitol Hill, uh, latest information. So yeah, it's just been uh, kind of uh, drinking out of a fire hose, really, with all the information and all that. So uh, yeah, but, uh, but, you know, that's what we're here for. So uh, happy to discuss. We have been working with our business officers on any number of issues. We've spent a lot of time talking to them about the general challenges they're facing. We've spent time talking about the CARES Act and uh, the emergency aid to institutions and to students. We have been working with them through questions about access to capital and uh, liquidity and loan programs that were a part of some of the emergency aid programs. But the reason that I invited you here today is that we're interested in taking a little bit of a deeper dive into what's happening in the giving space and uh, how that's impacting colleges and universities right now. So what is the 
landscape looking like for your members and what's top of mind over at Case right now? So uh, in terms of charitable giving overall, uh, you know, if you go right before the pandemic, uh, we were actually, uh, for really the last number of years, uh, we've seen through uh, Case's Voluntary Supportive Education Survey an increase in giving generally. That typically, giving tends to follow the market. We've had a very strong market up until the pandemic. Um, so we've seen giving rise. Now, I will say in the last fiscal year, so fiscal year 2019, um, we, our voluntary support of education survey came out and we did see giving rise, but we saw personal giving decline. Uh, so which was certainly something that we were worried about. And, uh, a lot of the speculation around some of that decline in personal giving was around some of the changes made in the tax cuts and jobs act, the tax reform law. Uh, now all of that's changed. Uh, uh, everything really has changed with our institutions and charitable giving is no exception to that. Uh, so once the, the pandemic set in, uh, once institutions had to uh, at least close in-person instruction, close campuses, stop doing events, um, you know, charitable giving and those activities uh, certainly uh, are going to take a hit because of that. Uh, and so one of the things that, you know, for institutions in, 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 you know, in a variety of ways, either in most cases are either planning for in the middle of or just completed a camp- campaign. And I've talked with a number of institutions that were either right ready to close a campaign or right ready to start a campaign. And you can imagine some of the decision making that they've had to, to do around whether to do those uh, campaign end events that they were planning on. Obviously, they're probably not doing those, but are they going to do those at a later time? For those considering launching, are they delaying their campaign start? Uh, do they want to even rethink the timeline given what's going on with the pandemic? Because as you know, with uh, this pandemic, it's all about uncertainty. There's just a lot of uncertainty out there. And uncertainty is the enemy of charitable giving. Uh, donors like to know what's going to happen. They like to know, uh, you know, when they make a gift and they make an investment in an institution, you know, they're committed to a good program. If that gift is going to grow, that's going to make a difference. And they're also, of course, looking at the, their own personal financial situation. They want to make sure that whatever they give is something they can give and the amount they can give um, as well. So all of that is now in flux. Um, and our institutions are, are are really looking at ways to continue to to raise the funds that they need. I think with a particular emphasis on on gifts that will help directly now. So a lot of student emergency funds, uh, a lot of hardship funds that have been created, uh, but also kind of rethinking how they're getting out there and asking um, asking donors to make gifts during this time. Obviously, there needs to be a lot of sensitivity right now. Uh, uh, obviously, unemployment numbers are up. Um, a number of families and individuals are struggling. So you need to be careful about when and how you're asking uh, donors to give back. But as you know, the needs are great. Uh, They're even greater than they were, uh, and they're going to continue to be great. So lots of challenges from a charitable giving perspective. Brian, can you talk a little bit more about uh, how those emergency fund programs are either being organized and how donors are responding? And then also, how are... uh, advancement offices preparing for what's likely to be a higher demand for aid in the fall term. You mentioned unemployment, and I know on the business officer side that uh, in their scenario planning, a lot of people are trying to estimate just how big that impact might be. What, what's happening on the advancement side in relation to that need? Yeah, well, I think uh, it's all about repositioning and repurposing. So right now, the the number one priority at most institutions is focused on student funds, student aid, hardship funds. And I would say even in the in the short term, it's hardship and emergency funds uh, right now. So 
as I mentioned, a lot of institutions have set these funds up. And to be fair, a lot of institutions already had these funds. So they just either reinvigorated them or, you know, put them out more in the spotlight now because they're just being more and more critical. And uh, from what we've heard, at least from our members, they've been very successful in terms of generating some, some uh, much needed immediate assistance. Of course, that's assistance that goes directly to students and is current operations kind of gifts. So it goes right back out there, right out to help right away. So it's not money that institutions are raising that can be used to potentially uh, deal with other financial challenges that institutions are facing, as I know your your members will know. So, um, but uh, there are a lot of needs out there and a lot of focus on that. And I think for those institutions that are either were planning on launching campaigns or in the middle of campaigns, uh, I think there's definitely been a refocus on those types of funds and relief funds that will focus on students uh, and their immediate needs. Uh, the other, the only exception to that is, I think, for research universities, of course, uh, given the role that research universities are playing in the pandemic, uh, and also institutions that have hospital or medical centers, there certainly is also a focus on raising money and raising funds to help those efforts as well. Uh, and you can see where the compelling, the compelling need and the compelling ask would be with that, um, which I think makes a lot of sense. So, I guess to put to to put it under a broad perspective, institutions are really looking at. You know, when they're reaching out to donors, they're doing it very um, strategically. Uh, you know, very in a very sensitive manner, but they're doing it asking for things related to uh, how they can help with the pandemic and help the institution. And of course, donors are invested in the institution. Those who've given for a number of years, alums of the institution, are invested in the institution. They want the institution to survive and thrive, and to be on the front lines helping in this effort. So they certainly have uh, been met with. Um, with a lot of, uh, I think, a pretty good success in terms of raising some of those funds. Now, whether that can carry on, you know, we're still so, it's so, the win- it's only been, a, you know, what now, a month or two months since the real lockdown kind of happened in terms of uh, COVID-19, at least in the U.S. Um, so we're still trying to figure out, I think, what the longer term picture is going to look like. So as uh, people kind of get a sense of what their new normal looks like, what is their, what are their giving decisions going to look like for the rest of the year? Um, and that pertains to all types of donors. Um, so certainly that, that, that financial aid and financial need are going to be big asks, um, from development offices. But, you know, how successful those efforts are, I think is still kind of to be determined because as I said from the outset, uh, uncertainty is an enemy of giving. Uh, and you just don't see a lot of donors wanting to make huge transformational gifts at a time when every, when the markets are uncertain, when everything's uncertain. Um, so, I think that every, we're still kind of trying to figure out what, what institutions are going to do, but there's certainly a lot of creative efforts and focus on trying to raise those funds. A lot of people are familiar with the fact that colleges and universities pivoted to online learning, but at the same time, so many other events that are a part of the fabric of college life have been canceled as well. Athletic events, campus tours, uh, reunion activities, board meetings, commencement, orientation programs, and the uncertainty is still there for the summer and fall, frankly. Uh, what does that mean for the advancement and giving folks on campuses? Well, and, and as you know, Liz, you know, advancement beyond just the development office, advancement also includes the alumni relations offices, the communications and marketing offices. Obviously, communications and marketing offices are thinking about uh, strategies related to enrollment. Uh, enrollment is just a huge issue for schools um, and, you know, trying to obviously uh, maintain enrollment, uh, grow enrollment, doing whatever they can do uh, to, to make sure that the institution um, has a strong class. And I'm particularly talking about smaller institutions as well. That's a really critical priority. 
Um, for alumni relations, for example, working with alums, you know, all those alumni events and chapter events and um, reunion events that are, you know, kind of the lifeblood of that profession are now all virtual if they're happening at all. So I think there's really been a, a focus on trying to, you know, use what you have in terms of the virtual tools that you have that schools have to try to recreate what they can in a virtual environment. So trying to do more virtual events, virtual connections, holding you know, those social events as much as they can, um, you know, over, over uh, Zoom or Ring Central or other sorts of uh, virtual platforms. But the one thing that we, we, we forget about a lot of all those alumni events, particularly at schools that have, you know, very uh, strong, visible athletic programs, a lot of these chapter and alumni events happen around athletic events. And of course, none of those events are happening right now. Um, so, and, you know, it's unclear what they're going to look like in the summer and the fall moving forward as well. So, I think there's just been a real focus on the alumni relations side. And also we'll take that to the development side as well. You know, development is a very, particularly when it comes to major gifts and principal gifts is a very one-on-one relationship building sort of profession. Um, And the ability to meet with a donor one-on-one and connect with them and, you know, connect them to their passion and their focus and the institution is really critical. And that's just hard to do um, when you can't meet with a donor one-on-one, you can't be there in person um, you can't do donor events. You can't recognize them in the same ways you've always recognized particular donors. So I think for all of our members, the advancement office, it's really about how do you, how are you in this, at least in the short term, transitioning these events to be virtual events and being able to conduct your business again virtually. But then how coming out of this, whenever we do come out of this pandemic, how do you take what you've done during this time and create new opportunity out of that? So yeah, you'll be back on the road, you'll be back doing donor visits, you'll be back with events. But how do you now build on that by now that you've worked and built this virtual community, these virtual connections, how can you build on that to continue to increase the level and depth of engagement moving forward? That's really interesting. It had not occurred to me that some schools might be doing virtual reunions. And I can absolutely see some kind of appeal for people who can't, if they have to travel long distances to their alma mater once a school initiate some type of online opportunity to gather with former friends and classmates. That might be something that completely alters the calendar and uh, traditional activities that happen. That's really interesting. Pivot to some policy issues. And you and I both mentioned the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And one of the elements of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was uh, essentially a new standard deduction that led to many, many taxpayers no longer itemizing their taxes and becoming uh, non-itemizers, claiming the standard deduction. Just as a little bit of a lead-in, you mentioned a softening of some giving uh, that was starting to appear in 2019. How does that all connect? We think that the softening of giving, there are a couple of explanations, at least that we think, and again, FY19 was before the pandemic, uh, as you know, and folks know. So this was pre-pandemic. We saw some softness in personal giving. We think that there are two kind of reasons for that. One is, if you remember all the way back to December 2018, which seems like eons ago, uh, there was a a lot of market volatility in December of 2018. And of course, year-end giving is the lifeblood of charitable organizations. Our institutions not are not, not no exception to that. Uh, it's a big time of year for giving. And as I mentioned earlier, anytime there's volatility or there's concern about market downturn, that tends to be an enemy of giving uh, overall. So you tend to see giving not as robust as it was in the past. So some of that could have been explained by that, but most of it was likely explained by that change that you just mentioned, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which was the doubling of the standard deduction. So now 
90%, roughly 90% of Americans or so no longer um, can, uh, are no longer itemizers. So at the time could no longer deduct any of their charitable gifts. Um, so uh, while they're still giving, they, they're likely not giving as much uh, as they were. Um, so, and we've always said that, that you know, tax incentives, a charitable deduction are not, uh, you know, that's not the primary motivator for giving, but it does impact how much you give, when you give, and uh, how you give. So that really is uh, what we were, uh, what I think some of the data was starting to show. Now you add the pandemic um, into this, uh, it just creates further pressure, of course, because a lot of those middle income and, and the change in the standard deduction really affected those middle income to high middle income donors the most. Most high income donors were already continued to itemize. So you're really talking about those middle income donors. Now you go into the pandemic, those are really a lot of the donors and families that are the most squeezed um, by what's happening in the, in, the, in the financial world right now, both with their jobs and with, uh, just with the market as, as a whole. So uh, the sense is without uh, an additional incentive or without expanding incentives for those non-itemizers, uh, you're likely going to see even further declines in personal giving, which is why we were very focused on in, in working with Congress to try to find new ways to encourage and enhance charitable giving incentives. So there was some good news in one of the relief packages that has moved thus far this spring through Congress and the CARES Act. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, what that first step was? So there were two, essentially two charitable giving incentives, or I guess enhanced charitable giving incentives that were included in the CARES Act, which was a, was the phase three COVID relief bill. So uh, the first was a new incentive, and that is uh, what we what we call a temporary universal charitable deduction, also is referred to as an above-the-line deduction uh, as well, but essentially expands the charitable deduction to all taxpayers. Um, now, it was a very modest uh, universal charitable deduction. So number one, it's temporary, as I said, so it's only good through 2020. So it's for gifts in 2020. Um, so when you file your taxes in 2021, you can take take this deduction. And the cap on the amount that you could give was only $300. So a very, very modest uh, universal charitable deduction. But it is a new incentive, all in the same, and does expand the charitable deduction to those non-itemizers. So that was one a uh, significant development and certainly something we were supportive of and um, will does provide a, a, an incentive for those uh, for those donors. The second piece uh, really impacts those uh, who are already itemizers, so a lot more of the major givers, high income donors, uh, which of course are very important to uh, giving to colleges and universities. Um, and those and that is a, a temporary suspension of the AGI limitations for cash gifts. So. Typically, uh, and actually the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act actually moved this up a bit, uh, but a donor can give up to 60% of their adjusted gross income or AGI uh, in cash uh, to a charity to charity each year. They can deduct that much. Um, what Congress did in the CARES Act is they increased that to 100% just for 2020 and only for gifts of cash. So gifts to donor-advised funds and supporting organizations uh, are not eligible under this temporary suspension. It's only cash gifts. And again, I think the focus of of Congress and those up on the Hill was to, by focusing on cash to say, what is, what is the type of giving that will get immediate money directly to charities and chari- the charitable sector and educational institutions that'll have the most, make the most difference. So we also had that temporary suspension of the AGI limitations. And for corporate givers, their uh, limit, which is typically 10% of their uh, income they can give, they can deduct up a year for charitable giving went up to 25%. So those uh, really three incentives were what were included in the CARES Act. So Nakubo is working closely with CASE and has for a long time on various advocacy efforts on Capitol Hill here in Washington. 
And I know that you have been working extensively uh, as a representative case to a larger coalition, a charitable giving coalition. This includes nonprofits of all shapes and sizes, museums, hospitals, uh, United Way, uh, soup kitchens, you name the charitable organization that are part of this coalition. What is this coalition hoping to see Congress address in uh, future relief measures? First of all, it's been an absolute pleasure to be a part of this coalition and, of course, uh, appreciate uh, our partnership with Nakubo as well and being a part of the coalition and working and advocating on behalf of Enhanced Charitable Giving Incentives. I think what the coalition is really looking to is to, first of all, to express appreciation that Congress and the administration recognize the importance of charitable giving and the need for enhanced charitable giving incentives um, by what they did in the CARES Act, but to also point out that if we're really going to make a difference, if we're really going to encourage more giving um, by Americans to educational institutions or other charities, these incentives have to be enhanced. They have to be, they have to be strengthened. So in, for ter- in terms of the temporary universal charitable deduction, we, that $300 cap, as I mentioned earlier, is just too modest to really lead to a lot of increased giving. Uh, if you can raise the cap um, up, uh, and uh, there are, uh, there's a proposal out there that uh, a number of senators on both sides of the aisle have been supportive of that would raise that cap from $300 to $4,000 for individuals, $8,000 for couples, that would generate some real additional giving uh, out um, to charitable organizations and to educational institutions. So we're really pushing to increase that cap. We would love, of course, to see the temporary universal travel deduction be temporary for a little bit longer than just through 2020. So we'd like to see it expanded through to 21. And on the other charitable giving incentives, um, the AGI limitation, uh, for example, would like to see that ex- extended as well. So that there's, it's going to take a while to, to kind of rebuild and build out what happened with the pandemic and whatever we can do to encourage more giving is going to be really, really critical. One idea that we we really like, but I think will be a challenge from an IRS and administrative um, enforcement perspective, is just this idea of allowing gifts that are, and we're still proposing it, but we'll see whether that gets some take up on Capitol or not, is this idea of allowing gifts that are made between March um, 13th of this year, when the national emergency was declared, and uh, July 15th, which is the new tax filing deadline. If you make a charitable gift during that time, allowing folks to take those 2020 gifts and deduct them on their 2019 taxes. That would probably be the policy that would encourage the most giving right now uh, and get money directly to charities right now. Because of course, any giving that giving that relates, typically you wouldn't really see in your in terms of your taxes until 2021 when you're filing your taxes. The challenge with that, of course, though, is, as you're well aware, is the IRS is already kind of uh, flooded in paperwork and backlogged uh, with lots of work. And the idea of having to deal with amended returns and all those other aspects of trying to and enforcement around this, making sure people don't double dip on gifts and all of that, make that a really a particular challenge to make that deduction work. But that would be something that if you made it available to itemizers and non-itemizers both, would certainly generate some additional giving. So we're at least floating it up there and hoping that uh, if, if, if we aren't able to get that, we can at least hopefully get an extension of the other charitable giving incentives that are up there. But those are just a, those are some of the ways that we're just trying to, again, enhance the charitable giving incentives that are out there. That's great. I know here and now incentives definitely work uh, for donors. They make a lot of sense given the needs that uh, all different organizations are facing right now. I know from uh, stories that we're hearing from our campuses that they are seeing. Uh, students with emergency needs, they 
faced unexpected expenses, whether it was bringing students home from their study abroad programs unexpectedly, to the costs related to pivot to online education, which included new equipment purchases, new software licenses, new training opportunities. Uh, And uh, there were plenty of other challenges ahead related to the education research and public service missions that our member institutions carry on and carry forward. So these giving programs are certainly a very important part of helping to cover the expense of delivering on those those goals. Um, Brian, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Any stories from the field or policy questions or concerns that you want to um, add here? Uh, the only thing I would add uh, on, on the conversation that we've already had is just the fact that, again, going off of what you just said, I, we've heard some wonderful stories about what uh, really what private support and giving has meant to institutions during this time. Uh, a, a number of community colleges uh, that I've, I've heard from and worked with, uh, for example, some of their foundations have helped make funds available to help pay for uh, uh, laptops and other things so that uh, students at their, at their colleges can get online and get that, that distance learning happening and finish up their courses for the, for the semester. So just the, the, and the, the, that's just one of many stories uh, to others, other, uh, other efforts to, again, uh, the focus on getting additional money in for research and groundbreaking research around, uh, particularly around the pandemic. It's just really been inspiring to hear. And it reminds us that, you know, charitable giving isn't everything, of course, to our institutions, but it is one important tool and resource that is worth um, thinking about, investing in, and advocating for um, uh, because it really does make a difference and can make uh, particularly at a time like this, can make a real, real difference uh, in the lives of the students and also uh, the the faculty and the staff that we all support and their institutions support and, of course, help our institutions achieve their mission. So uh, we're going to continue, as I know you are, to, to push for as much as we can to help our institutions, whether it's charitable giving or other, uh, other aid, because it's just really, really critical at this time. Couldn't say it better. Thank you so much, Brian. You and your colleagues at CASE are terrific collaborators and partners with Nakubo. We truly appreciate working with you on this higher education mission. Uh, As I wrap up this edition of Nakubo in Brief, I also want to extend a thank you to our Nakubo members. Uh, Without our members, this policy and advocacy work would not be possible. So again, thank you for your Nakubo membership and thanks for joining us for this edition of Nakubo in Brief.